Key Biscayne Stories collects the history of our beautiful island. This is your host, Alejandro Cervalli, and I am a certified key rat for many, many years and counting. With this podcast, we will share the stories of our residents and their love for this slice of paradise we call home. So stay tuned, relax, and enjoy these great Key Biscayne Stories. My fellow Kiwi Skaters, welcome to another episode of Kiwi Skate Stories. Today's guest, we have a fellow key rat and a good friend of mine, Carlos Santa Maria, founder of Neighborhood Tennis. Carlos and I grew up together in the key, chilling with the crew, going to the beach, doing the BBQs, and painting our faces for the 4th of July parades. Carlos started his tennis coaching company in the key and now runs a successful tennis coaching business from the Grove with his psychic and better half, Christy. Carlos still frequents the key every week to visit his parents and their dog Pepe. Who can forget little Pepe? So join us and get to know Carlos and Neighborhood Tennis. Also, if you want to know more about Kibiscane Stories, please sign up to our newsletter at kibiscanestories at gmail.com. Information in the show notes. So Carlos, welcome on the show. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Ali. How's everything over there in the Grove? Oh man, the Grove's great. It's, uh, it's getting better now that Coco walks back up. Awesome. So let's, let's get to know you. You are, you, were you born in Miami? Are you a local? Born in Miami, raised in Miami and still in Miami. Awesome. What school did you go to? Wow. I started at KBCS. Then I went to Sunset Elementary, which is a great school, great magnet program. Then I went to St. Agnes in Key Biscayne, really good school also. And then I won the lottery and made it to Mass Academy not through the now public program that I think Key Biscayne is having with the kids, right. but the actual magnet program. And I think the Mass Academy program really shaped me for who I am now. And, you know, it really made it easy in college because it was a really good prep for college. I ended up going to FIU and, and sticking it in Miami for my uh, college experience. Awesome. Like everyone in Miami, we all have some sort of international background. I believe you are from Spain. Yeah. So my father's side of the family is from Spain. My mother's side of the family is Cuban until her grandparents. Her grandparents are completely Spaniard, dating back to the roots of the family tree. So almost Spain fully on both sides. I've had a lot of luck. I go to Spain almost every year. My girlfriend is from Spain. I love Spain. So it really fits that I'm a Spaniard too, because I love the place. So let's dive into neighborhood tennis, which we are here for. So Neighborhood tennis. How did that start? So I was a lifeguard in college and that was my like part-time. I was a part-time student, a part-time lifeguard. And then that job got terminated. And somehow I rekindled a relationship with a gentleman that I had been going to a camp in, in the Sonesta. Sonesta is a resort that was in Key Biscayne. It's no longer there. I think it's Oceana. And the Sonesta had like maybe nine tennis courts. And I approached the gentleman and I'm like, hey, listen, I would like to work as a tennis coach. And they took me on and I slowly started to build my credentials as a tennis coach. I slowly branched out to do my own thing inside of Key Biscayne. And then what started inside of Key Biscayne grew quickly into the Grove and into Brickle. From there, I was doing really well. And I hired one of my coaches, which is a longtime friend and one of my training partners from back in the day, Paolo Losno. And him and I started taking the clients that I have and we started developing the kids. We taught adults. We skipped around Miami. We went to public tennis courts, private tennis courts. And next thing I knew, I graduated college. The plan was I wanted to be a lawyer. 
right? I didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to be, but I wanted to be a lawyer. I guess it was like the safety net. I guess that's what like made money. I, I don't know why I wanted to be a lawyer. I did like law classes. I, I took a couple of courses at the end of my bachelor's degree and I was really into it. But as I got closer to, to finishing, I, I really wasn't seeing myself as a lawyer. I saw that the lawyer lifestyle wasn't for me. So what I did was I told my parents, listen, I'm going to take a year off from college. After college, after I graduated, I'm going to take a sabbatical before I commit to do any law school or any kind of master's degree. And I'm going to give the tennis show a chance. And my parents being the Latino immigrants are like, oh my gosh, you need to like get like a career and you need to do this and you're crazy and this is not the way. Mm -hmm. So it was, I, I didn't get any support at home. You know, I didn't grow up to be a, an all-star tennis player. I was never in college for playing tennis. Didn't do anything major with my tennis playing career. But I thought that, I thought, and I knew that in Miami, there was a deficit of good, clear, and communicative tennis coaches that could develop children and could put passion into it. I just saw a lot of people that were older or ex-pros that were teaching tennis around Miami and they were hard torn in it. Uh, they were kind of just doing it for the buck and uh, it wasn't really developing players. And I saw a real deficit in Miami where it was a divide between the people that were ultra wealthy and could afford a bunch of lessons and they developed into tennis players. And then people like me that really had nothing in their family to, you know, push them to play tennis. And they were kind of like at the whims of whoever they had in front of them coaching at the time. And that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to get this started. So if I understand correctly, when you started tennis, you had no previous tennis experience, but you just found that opportunity. You reached out to those coaches in, in the Sonesta. Hey, I want to I work. I want to teach tennis. Yeah. Or did you, so, or did you... I mean, I was playing tennis. The reason I knew these guys was I was playing a tournament at that oh. location and I had met them through that tournament. So, and they were really friendly with me. So when I went over there to check to see if I could get a job, it was like, yeah, of course, you're a cool guy. You know how to play tennis. We could uh, start you off and do something with, with your time. And then under them, I started to learn the ways of, you know, how a lesson is done, uh, the etiquette with the clients, communication, how to almost run a facility for tennis. But after I was gone with them and I did my own thing, there was no facilities. I was running around Miami gotcha. uh, teaching tennis at people's houses. So now neighborhood tennis has grown, right? From when you started with your first coach and now you are, you're all over the place. You even got to, to manage some programs for a local school. So you've done a little bit of everything. So what is the neighborhood landscape look like now? So I think I graduated in 2011 and the sabbatical lasted till 2012 to which in that year I grew enough clientele to hire my assistant coach to where I almost had to get a third one. In that time, I met my girlfriend, Christina, and uh, she was also helping out with the tennis concept. And the thought of neighborhood tennis was made, where we were establishing an academy where it had no location, where it doesn't matter where we were, we were providing a quality and we were providing a network where let's say I have a couple of children that play at certain levels. They could always network and play with the kids that are, my other coaches are playing with because they're at the same level. Every now and then we would throw an event or a party where we would have all the clients come in and they would meet each other and play with each other. And it was really nice because it would bring everybody together and it would make a little bit more sense than just taking one or two hours a week of tennis in your house. It was giving it dimension. 
It was giving it an experience that these kids weren't really getting. And that's really like the beautiful part of how it started. And then from there, we started to get involved with schools. We started offering tennis after school for a couple of elementary schools, which had no tennis courts to begin with. We would go to the school and set up a miniature net, put some cones, make a court, and then have fun from there. And usually from that program, we would get a couple of kids that were really interested in tennis. And then we'd take them to a neighboring court, or maybe they would have a court in their backyards or in their apartment complexes. And it would go from using the back driveway of a school to actually getting on a tennis court. And then at some point, maybe even doing a competition at a lower intermediate level. You mentioned kids. Is it's kids where you focus the most or do you have tennis classes for all ages? We have it for all ages, but I would say we're mainly a junior academy right now. We've been taking over this location in Coral Gables since January. We're managing the Coral Gables Country Club. And since we've been managing that, the adults have been growing. We've been getting more and more adults coming our way, but that's a morning thing. But before then, before we had a, an academy, I'm sorry, a facility, we were doing mainly after-school programming and we were doing things in the afternoon or after school because in reality, that was what we could do in the afternoon. In the mornings, it was always tougher without a location. But I would say most of our students are juniors. Earlier, you mentioned the kids' development, right? So which, which is a big differentiator for you and one of the things that you noticed that was missing in the, in the market. Can you dive a little more into what, what is kid development for you? Character development, what, what does that entail? So junior development is pretty much getting a, a child who maybe doesn't have any athletic foundation, or maybe they have an athletic foundation, and turning them into a person that can play tennis, that can maybe play a full match, they can serve, they can hit a forehand and a backhand, they can tell the score. I mean, to be honest, it's pretty much taking them from hitting balls to playing tennis, which is, you know, exchanging the ball back and forth with the person across the net, which is the beautiful part of tennis. I think that's what everybody aspires to do. When they're learning tennis, they want to go from hitting balls left and right and playing fetch to actually controlling the ball and being able to enjoy hitting back and forth with somebody else and not just like, you know, oops, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to go get this ball. Oh, my bad, I got to get this ball. And that's where I think we have our strength. We develop players from hitting and maybe not playing so well to actually playing and then eventually competing at some level, either a beginner, intermediate, maybe even advanced level. So how do you motivate these kids to reach these levels? I'm gonna get, I mean, tennis is an intense sport, right? I mean, they, I'm sure it has a, a lot of other things than what you see when you go to watch a match. How do you motivate these kids? That's a really good question, Ali. I think we've made our mistakes along the way. I think the biggest mistake is isolating. I think tennis is a very individualistic sport as it is already. And it's just tough for a child to sit in front of an adult and enjoy the process of learning tennis. I think that the process of learning tennis is enjoyed more in groups. And I think the aspect of motivation comes from the aspect of competition. You know, I want to be the best in my group. Maybe another person in your group pushes you more. And the social aspect becomes extremely healthy when they start showing up, not only to see their friends, but to train. And when they train, they use each other to sharpen their skills, you know. It's like when a metal is used to sharpen another metal. These kids are actually sharpening each other at practice, not so much because they exchange balls better, but because maybe they'll pay more attention, they won't be so relaxed, they'll be more engaged, they'll be more intense. So the motivation is really when they get to be in groups with, I say, similar interests, maybe not always similar levels, 
but you get kids that really want to get good together and you're going to have a lot of special kids coming out of that group. Now, I, I have to share with the audience, well, I want to share with the audience that I know Carlos for a very long, 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 long time. We grew up together and I had the pleasure to see him develop his business from, from the idea to, to what it is today. So I'm always very proud and happy to see your business grow and see how you much enjoy it. You enjoy it a lot. And I see, and I first, I particularly enjoy when you get on the phone with, with your students and they're struggling with a particular thing, your ability to, to motivate them has always been very impressive. I always enjoyed hearing those conversations whenever I'm visiting you and you get on the phone to motivate that student has always been very awesome. So it's, it's a treat for me. Yeah, you know, we go way back and, uh, and it's funny because it's, it's, it's cool. Staying in Miami, I've also had a lot of friends that have seen me grow into this person that I am now. And it's great, you know, being a coach, being a mentor, being a friend, you know, being a psychologist, kind of being a parent. Also, even though I don't have any children of my own, I feel like I'm parenting most of the uh, students I have. For sure. And it's one of those things that I, I always tell people, I'm like, listen, you don't work a day in your life if you love what you do. People are always telling me, man, you, you're working so long or you work weekends. I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm living the dream. I have to almost pinch myself on a daily basis and say, is this really what I'm doing for a living? Enjoying it. I'm loving it and I'm living it. So I cannot complain. But thanks, Ali. That's, that's great to hear. I love the process and, I, and I'm continuing to love it. I could definitely tell. So what should parents look for when looking for an event, for an activity for their kids? Or if they want to do tennis, what should they look for in tennis? I would say the connection between the child and the sport. And then more importantly, depending on how we want the kid to develop into the sport, the connection between the coach or the organization that's doing the coaching and the actual sport. I think uh, passionate people, whether they're the athlete or the coaches, are the ones that are going to get the most. I've always been a passionate guy, no matter what I do. Um, I put a lot of the passion into my coaching, and I've gotten a lot of results from it. Speaking of, of results, last, last fall, 2019, one of our teams, the 12 and under team, won the junior team tennis competition in the whole state of Florida in the 12 and under category, which is a huge achievement. If you think about it in Florida, it's pretty much like the pocket of tennis of the United States. If not the world, we have like huge academies. Uh, we got country clubs. We got places that have like 25 courts and we're used to training on like public courts in, in like the worst conditions. And, you know, taking the kids to the state tournament was one of the tougher things I had to do. because I was thinking, man, I don't know if we have what it takes to compete with these people that have these facilities. And, and you know what? We, we won, not convincingly. It was really tight. We got first in that category. We were also competing in the 14th category, but we didn't get first place. I think we got third or fourth. But Congratulations. Thanks. Just the, the passion, I think, that I was able to pass on to the kids uh, was enough for them to play at their best and stretch their abilities at their most. And I think it's going to translate not only on the court, but off the court for these kids in their relationships, school, anything they do. You know, you don't, you don't just go out there and put everything out into it unless you're passionate about it. And that's what I was able to get with these kids, a lot of passion and a lot of effort. So where is Neighborhood Tennis? Well, just like the name of the company says, and this is the effort that we've always had to do, we're in the neighborhood. We're mainly in the heart of Miami where you can't really find a lot of academies, and by a lot, I mean none. There's really no presence where people can say, oh, I go to this academy, I go to this one. People usually drive long and far to do their tennis. So Neighborhood Tennis has really 
come through an organic effort of bringing tennis to the heart of Miami, either through, you know, organizing it at a public park and having kids going there, which is in the neighborhood, either in the Grove or in Brickle or in Key Biscayne, Midtown, Miami Beach, you name it. We've gone to the parks. The kids have come to us. We've even gone to some houses, some apartment complexes, and that's where it's gone, to the neighborhoods. So it's really started off as a no location, and then it was various locations. So if people wanted to reach out to you because they're interested in tennis or they want to learn tennis or get their kids involved, now you're almost everywhere, hitting in the bushes. Is there, how do they reach you? Well, if they really want to reach us, I would Google us. I would Google uh, Neighborhood Tennis. Our website is uh, nt at neighborhoodtennismiami.com. And you can find uh, programming. You can find a lot of pictures. We have a gallery with all the things that we've done. There's information. And of course, there's the contact page that you can reach us to. But for the most part, I think by now, since our inception in 2013, where we established the company and made it official with the uh, Florida Records, kind of everybody knows about tennis if they're into tennis. Unless you're brand new and you have no idea and you're like on an island, pretty much everyone knows about us or they've heard about us or they've seen our shirts. You know, people, our coaches are always wearing them. We give these shirts to the kids. And it's something that catches the eye. I don't know if you can see the uh, logo from here, Again. but the logo is extremely cool. It's one of the coolest things that we have. And it's a uh, tennis ball in the shape of a house, which is, you know, pretty much the name. Uh, it's a neighborhood and a tennis at the same time. I like it. I like it. So like any business that's gotten this far, I'm sure it requires a team of people to make this magic happen. Can you tell us about the team? So the team was small. Like I said, it started with myself. Then I added my long-term training buddy, Paolo. And then along the way, I met Christina, who started off as helping me, assisting me, coaching with me. And then we got together. She's now my girlfriend for, I think, nine years. And without her, I think I wouldn't be able to get this far with the company. She's been not only supportive, but proactive. She's helped us grow. And like I said, we started off small. Now. We are 12 coaches deep, and it's just because of the growth of neighborhood tennis. We're inside of schools, we're inside of parks, and now we're inside of a country club. So it's been a slowly organic growth, but it's been, I think, appropriate with the time that we've been around. So how do you guys, how do you and Christina divide the work? I mean, I've, I've seen some from obviously watching you guys grow. I feel like you're more of the, in the field, front lines, in the sun, in the rain, as I say, in the rain, yeah. fighting in the rain. And then Christina is more like the strategic, you know, in-house. How, how do you guys divide that's, that? That's pretty much on point, Ali. I'm, the, I, I, uh, I'm out there. She's always been out there. She won't not coach. She loves to coach. I think that's one of the things that I loved about her. She was always passionate about tennis. And that's one of the things that actually sparked our relationship was like the passionate part about tennis, like not only being good or being bad or whatever level, it's just having fun, going out there and liking what you do. And she's always enjoyed the coaching aspect. But the way we divide the work is almost equally, but I think I'm on the court or outside more than she is. So she's actually the one that has started up the website. She's the one that has organized doing schedules online. She's usually the one that people talk to the most on the, over the phone or over email. I'm usually the one that people meet when they're on the court or if I have to go to a location. At the very start of uh, Neighborhood Tennis, I think a year or two in, we got called by a 
big school in Miami called the Metropolitan International School of Miami. The athletic director was Arancha Sanchez Vicario, which was a former number one female tennis player. I think she got the gold medal in the Olympics, won Grand Slams. And the school's project was to do PE tennis. And I started actually coaching that with neighborhood tennis at that location. They had a tennis court in the school. They actually paved the parking lot. And then at the end of the parking lot, they built a tennis court, kind of like the one that you see at the Miami Open. And I spent a lot of time teaching PE tennis and after-school tennis there. And while I was on the court, I definitely needed a lot of off-court help. So while I was on the court, Christina was doing a lot of the off-court stuff, you know, marketing, clients, contacts, growth, always looking to see where we could go next to take the kids. Because that was always a problem with neighborhood tennis. We always had the kids but we needed where to take them next, you know, because it, it came from teaching a three-year-old and that three-year-old promptly became a five or six-year-old who then started doing a little competing. And then the six and six-year-old became an eight-year-old and that guy needed a couple of more courts and space. And then now they're like 12, 11, 13, 14. These guys are huge, but we still have the three and four-year-olds that are coming up the chain. So that's been Christina's biggest job, you know, finding out where we can displace and go with the kids that are developing with us. And I've always been really worried about, you know, getting them to play their best and develop them appropriately so they can only not be good at tennis, but enjoy tennis. I think the, the biggest mission here is keeping them interested in the sport as long as possible. And I think with neighborhood tennis, they have not only found the sport they love, but they find a group of people that they can do it with and they love doing it with. I feel like the next natural question to ask you is, what is your favorite part of neighborhood tennis? My gosh, you know, my favorite part about neighborhood tennis is that I get to pick up a racket every day and go play tennis, play tennis, teach tennis, touch lives. It's the whole package. You know, I think in the, the part that I don't like is like, you know, getting on the computer, not like this, but I think getting on the computer and like, you know, writing an invoice or stuff like that. I think the easy part for us, because we've been exposed to it so long, is actually going out there and hitting the ball, exchanging the ball. And the, the most rewarding part is when you've develop the child from zero and after months of hard work that seemed to just go by because i'm telling you when you're working with these kids the, the time flies you'll get someone that you would have said man i don't know if this guy's ever gonna make it and then the next thing you know they're 12 or 13 and not only are they playing tennis but they're you know almost kicking your butt i've got kids that they're 13 and 14 that i cannot step on the court with because i'll lose their respect and, and it's not a bad thing. I think that's actually great. And thankfully, I have coaches that can keep up with them. But coming from a, a personal level, it's, it's been most rewarding we can, when we can actually develop a person, not only a player, but the person who you see at a raw age of four, five, or six, and then their character evolves with their game. And then they become a confident person and a great tennis player by 12, 13, or 14. I think that's a, that's a great answer. You're going to interview like teachers or coaches and they still have that passion and that fire in them to see the kids grow. I think it's very satisfying for me as, as an interviewer to see that, that that is a motivation of where they wake up every morning. One of the things that I was told by um, one of my best friend's parents is I, I was at a birthday and, you know, the older you get, the less you see your friends from high school. You, you see, you, you, you and I barely see each other. We used to see each other almost every weekend. Barbecues. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah. we should, I mean, too bad for COVID. I'm sure we wouldn't see each other more. 
But, you know, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me in this conversation with the father of one of my best friends was he was like, listen, Carlos, I've seen the same thing as you. Like, I've seen you grow. I've seen you evolve. But I always knew that you weren't the ace on the court. You weren't the best. But the best teachers weren't always the best players, the best instructors weren't always the best probably scholars you know i think the ability of being a good teacher is having the struggle during the tennis the struggle during the studies and then because of that struggle when you're teaching you're able to break things down better for the kids not only can you break things down better but you have the patience you have the passion which is obviously there but i think it's coming from a perspective of someone that couldn't do it and seeing others that are trying to do it and actually being able to say hey listen I can help you. I know how to help you. And then the rewarding part is when they trust you and they actually let you in and you see the work and you actually accomplish something with them. And that's the final product I love to see. And it's happening with almost all the children that we get to get in the program. That's a great way to impact those kids' lives. They will take that into the future to whatever challenges the world may bring. You know, one day you're going to be in Flanagan's in the Grove and you're going to be like a student is going to come up to you. You told me this one day and it affected me in this way. And now thanks to you, which is very satisfying. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the, the main things about neighborhood tennis. If you go to enter any of our programs, you will feel the love on the court. You feel the air of, yeah, they're working hard. Yeah, they were pushing them, but there's just so much love, care, passion into it. It's not an empty thing. It's, it's something that every person on the court is there to work for themselves or to work towards their game. And it's a great thing that we've accomplished because now we've created a group of kids that are always in that zone. And anybody new that jumps into that group kind of has to acclimatize themselves to that mindset. Like, hey, listen, we're not here to just like hit balls and talk between. No, we're here to actually get better at our game because we might be having a tournament sometime soon. Or, you know, Coach Carlos was telling me I need to work on this because we're doing team tournament soon. I can't let my team down. So I think taking it from the individualistic standpoint and making it like a team group effort has been one of the biggest strengths of neighborhood tennis. And people can tell. People can tell the energy and how the things works and how they flow, how everybody treats each other. And, and I think it's very important. So talking a little bit about challenges, what are some of the challenges you've encountered as you grow this business or as I call your, your empire? So the main challenge as we build our business has always been location. As we've grown, we don't have a lot of kids that start with us and then leave. If anything, we have kids that stay with us and they start by coming one time a week, then they come two times a week. Then it's like, hey, mom, I want to come every day. And then the group of kids organically grows. And as they grow with time, they grow older. And that group has another group that's coming under them. And that other group is going to push them out of the way. And then where do this group go? This group has to go to either another location, another court. And that's always been one of the biggest problems with us, um, courts, locations, but slowly and organically, we've been able to take care of that. And we've been able to go through different parks. Now we finally have a location at the Coral Gables Country Club with six beautiful clay courts, which is also a struggle. Practicing on a clay surface has always been a struggle for us because all across Miami, the public places are hard courts. You know, they have no maintenance, which is extremely nice and convenient. It's just a hard surface. Playing on clay is a whole different world. I think training there now, since we have this facility, has made a big difference into how our kids do in competitions. Um, and as we grow, I think the biggest challenge has been to stay true to what we started out as doing. I don't want it to 
fade out or dilute. I don't want to dilute not just the quality of what we've been doing, but the mission statement of what we've been doing. Just because we're growing, we're not going to not take care of what we've always taken care of, which is the development of these children. So that's been one of the biggest challenges. Through the growth, how do we maintain? But thanks to having amazing partners like my girlfriend, Christina, and you know, Paolo, and other guys that have grown with us in the company, we've been able to establish and maintain the quality of the development through all of our locations. Re- reinforcing your core values and, and revisiting them and making sure you stick true to them as you grow will only solidify your position and, and allow you to offer a much better product as you grow. I think it's a great idea. I think through the organic growth we have, I don't know if it's accidentally, but we have created like a chain where the kids understand that they will go to another location as they get better. So there's like this motivation where they see, oh, yeah, if I am doing this and I'm doing better and I get to this age, I'm going to go to so-and-so location because that's where the kids from this level train. And then it's kind of like they can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but there's really no end to this. It just keeps going and going until they're 13, 14, or 15, and they're playing tournaments, they're traveling to Orlando, and they're just completely in love with the sport. They're going out on the weekends, playing with their family, playing with their friends, and we're actually really happy to see them do that. Awesome. Well, I know that we're running out of time. I have one more question for you. What is the future of neighborhood tennis? Oof. The future of neighborhood tennis is, I think, making an impact on the Miami tennis scene. As I, as I started the interview by telling you the reason why I created neighborhood tennis is, I think, the same reason why it's successful and why it will be continuing to be successful. The way we do things, the way we are, and the, the team that we built around the academy has only translated into good results, growth, and expansion. I think I see us continuing to grow, but not only in a sense of uh, kids playing with us, but I think in a sense of the kids that we have will be winning more tournaments, will be getting more noticed in the uh, Florida scene. Like I told you, we won the Florida State Championships in a junior team tennis setting, which is, you know, playing doubles and singles against other academies across Florida. And, you know, making enough noise where people think, man, maybe in Miami, they do teach good tennis. Maybe there is something going on in Miami that's pretty good. The attention for tennis has always been in places where you see country clubs like Boca Raton or like ING on the West Coast, places where there's a lot of land and there's not a lot to do. Miami has always been a place of distractions and a place where you can't really set your feet on anything. And I think with what we're offering in Miami, people have shifted that attention and tried to prioritize doing tennis and keeping it and continuing with it. Awesome. Coach Carlos, thank you so much for taking the time to sharing your story, how you started. And I really appreciate you taking the time and joining us today. Ale, thanks for having me. It's an honor and it's a pleasure to see you on this podcast. Likewise, you know, I've I've seen you. We go way back. I've seen you progress as a professional. This is awesome. So congrats to you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.